Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that is really good at sitting around and smoking his pipe all day long. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you way, 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 pre-recorded, because by now, hopefully, I'm in England. If all goes well, don't know, because it's actually March 7th that I'm recording this, and this is my fourth show for the day, so if it sounds a little batty, well, that could be why. Uh, Anyway, in this week's episode, you have a, uh, in Pipe Parts, we have a uh, Ask the uh, Blender with Jeremy Reeves from Cornell and Deal. And then my guests are two pipe makers. Yep, two. Jeff Grasick and Jody Davis. And uh, Jeff proposed this idea that, you know, he had some questions and wanted to have a discussion with Jody and thought it might be interesting if I just you know, kind of listened in and sat in and recorded it and uh, occasionally asked a question. And this is the first of what I believe will be three segments or three uh, three weeks worth of stuff. So, uh, But again, I'll break them up so that we don't have them back to back. But you get Jeff Grasick and Jody Davis. And don't forget, we are also gathering up items for the JDRF fundraiser, uh, jdrf.org to find a cure for type 1 diabetes and better treatments and uh, help out people like my daughter who deal with it every day. Uh, And you've heard the stories before in the past, so I won't tell them to you. But if you have anything you'd like to donate, we'll start gathering those things up in April and May and have the auctions in June. So that would be much appreciated. Email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show for a Ask the Blender segment with Jeremy Reeves. Jeremy, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So here's your question for this week. 
Uh, Danny writes, Modern pipe smokers are fanatics about keeping their stored and cellared tobacco from drying out. I would guess all the tobacco in your warehouse is stored dry. It's a two-part question. So question number one is, does the tobacco in your warehouse age while dry? So we'll, we'll, we'll take that one on first. Okay. So, yes, it does age. Um, it ages differently than it would if it were moistened. Um, basically, as tobacco uh, is stored dry, it is stored in a way where uh, air is able to pass through it. Um, and so as the, as the seasons change and as humidity and, and temperature changes, um, the tobacco basically continues its curing cycles um, and purges more and more of the impurities and ammonia and things like that that the curing process is really designed to get out initially, they continue to go through that process. We call that sweating. Yep. And uh, so what happens with sweats is basically that the tobacco mellows and the tobacco sweetens. Um, it is different than what happens when you are aging a tin of a finished blend where there is moisture present and where it's actually able to ferment, um, but it does age. And this is the reason why all tobacco storage barns are in the southeast United States and not in the deserts of Nevada. Correct. Correct, because you want to be able to keep that tobacco at around, say, 13 to 15% moisture, which is pretty dry. But if you were storing them in Nevada, you would be below that. <laughs> You'd uh, be below by, zero. <laughs> yes, by, by a, fair, a fair amount. And you wouldn't have that same uh, sort of, you know, the tobacco swelling and the tobacco purging and, and all the things that happens as it goes through sweats. And, and the the high pressure of the summers here really does help open up the pores of the leaf and, and let all that stuff out, and the high temperatures do the same thing. Um, it, it's also important that during that time you're turning the tobacco, so the, uh, as we talked about previously, so that the inside of the pile, or however you have it, I don't know how you guys have it stored because you won't let me in there because I might touch everything. Uh, and I promise I won't show up with cargo pants and a backpack to load it up. Um, but you know, you've got to turn those bales so that the inside tobacco, uh, the tobacco in the middle of the pile will heat up and will get hotter faster than the tobacco on the outside. Right. Well, that's if you're trying to accomplish something very precise, like, uh, the kind of processing that goes into, uh, making dark burley or or fermenting uh, fermenting tobacco to achieve a particular color and aroma and flavor that you would for say a cigar like making an oscuro uh, wrapper leaf or something. Um, for us, the tobacco that we purchase has been typically stored um, for a few years and uh, stored in a, a tobacco warehouse. And then when we receive it, it is packed into large cardboard boxes called C48s. And those are pretty industry standard. 
Um, so when we get into a pile of tobacco, we are we are working out of a a large cardboard box that has airflow around it. And you, and you also need that tobacco kind of dry because at that point that's when you're you're hand stemming them and getting the bad pieces out, which is a whole lot easier if the tobacco's on the relatively dry side. That's correct. Most of the tobaccos that we're using are coming to us already mechanically stripped. Some of the tobacco that we use is is truly and whole leaf. And when you're talking about truly whole leaf, then it's actually the opposite that is true. Uh, you want tobacco that is that is moist and pliable to get that mid rib out without without pulverizing the the lamina, which is the two halves of the leaf on either side of the stem. Aha. Uh -huh. So the the lamina will just crumble to dust if you try and stem uh you know a, a 16 or 18 18 inch leaf of tobacco um from from butt to tip you're just gonna crush it the whole way up if it's moist then those two those two halves of the leaf will just strip off very easily so that's a point where you may have to bring the moisture back up in the leaf before you start to really manipulate it. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, are there also times when you might dry it down or bring it back up depending on how you're cutting it or what you're going to do with it? Yes. Pretty much any time that you're, that you're cutting, you want more moisture in it than what you'll want for the finished product going into a tin. And the reason is for the same thing that if you are, if you are trying to get a very fine slice on a block of dry tobacco, you're just making tobacco powder. <laughs> so a tobacco in your, uh, a tobacco that uh, an individual piece of tobacco that might end up in your, in one of your finished blends may have gone through a couple of summer sweats and then re-moisturized to get the rib out and then dried down, you know, allowed to be dried down while it ages longer and then re-moisturized back up so that it got cut and then dried down a little bit before it was actually used for the final blend. That's correct. So you're, and, and the way you do that is by just, you know, I guess just spraying warm water on it. Well, there's a few ways you can you can approach it. Um, we don't have a casing cylinder and we don't have a steaming cylinder, so pouring pouring moisture directly on the tobacco um, in a you know knowing how much how much tobacco by weight you're treating and then uh, achieving a a a uh, percentage of moisture that you're adding that is that is prescribed to the amount of tobacco you're treating is kind of the best way that we can do it but there are mechanical ways where the tobacco actually is set on a very very meticulously timed belt and it runs through a cylinder that is covered all over with nozzles that are fed by a big tank um, and that tank has in it uh, some alcohol and some water and it basically steams uh, inside that cylinder and the, the speed with which the tobacco is moving through that tank and the amount of moisture that is being put off by those spray nozzles can be really, really fine-tuned to get you exactly the percentage of moisture that you're looking for in the product when it comes out the other end. Um, so there are ways to do it like that. 
but for us and for Perique farmers and, and for pretty much anybody who is doing things the, the low tech way, yeah, pretty much spraying, spraying whatever your moisture is going to be, uh, directly onto the onto the tobacco is the best way to get that moisture there um and a lot of times we'll use alcohol as a portion of this because we know we want to dry it down afterwards and so that alcohol will help with the wicking process will help with the drying process kind of like how my uh, my everclear that i use to clean my pipes actually helps dehydrate the pipes faster because it's alcohol and it helps suck all the stuff out of there and then it dries it out. Uh, That's right. His second question is, is a finished blend trash? If it dries out, can it be saved in your opinion? How? And that, you know, that <laughs> I'm sitting here and I happen to have on my desk, a old tin of tobacco. that's probably 30 years old. It was cracked. It had a hole in it. How do I rehydrate it? Gotcha. Unfortunately, and especially in an instance like what you're describing, where you've got a, a tin of tobacco that is decades old and it dried out in the in the original packaging because the packaging uh, was was flawed in some way um, or damaged in some way along along that decades uh, long journey that it took. Unfortunately. The fact that your tobacco is dried out and the age of the tin is so is so high, you've probably lost some flavonoids in the oils of the tobacco that you're not going to be able to bring back. So you can reintroduce moisture, but you're never going to be be able to reintroduce what was actually lost, which wasn't just moisture, but was also other compounds that contributed to the flavor and contributed to the particular nuances of the way that that tobacco had fermented for 30 years. Unfortunately, those things are gone and there's no way to reintroduce them. But if you've got a blend that say you had it open for a week and you live in Nevada and having a tin open for a week is long enough for you to have uh, lost a significant amount of moisture, you can simply put a Boveda pack in that tin and keep it sealed up or put it into a jar with a Boveda pack and reintroduce some moisture and, and uh, you'd be able to save some of the compounds and oils and things that are part of the why, of why our tobacco tastes the way that it does. So it's, it's really a matter of how long the tobacco has been in its super dry state. So, there, so what you're saying is there's two parts of the drying out process. There's the initial moisture, and then there's the uh, the oils and the flavonoids and all the secret sauces that are actually in the leaf that dry out after that. That's right. That's right. Perfect. Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll have you back on for more. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. 
with a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And what you are about to hear is uh, the first part of the conversation with Jeff and Jody. This is pretty much unedited because I wanted you to hear their uh, their natural discussion. So you get to kind of eavesdrop along with me on uh, two great uh, two great pipe makers talking about pipes and talking about their history. And it kind of goes in chronological order. So here you go. Jody. Yes. You and I haven't talked in a while, have we? No, it's been a while. It's been it's a little while. Been a been a little while since the last time we were on the phone. So yeah. I I don't know about you, but I I thought probably the most reasonable thing to do is call our friend Brian and say, Hey Brian, will you mediate a conversation between me and Jody? Because we just haven't been able to connect lately. Yeah, we need someone to facilitate it. That's right. That's right. So well, thank you, Brian, for 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 putting the the team back together here. Yeah, yeah. The team. Wait a second. Wait gang, a second. The gang's all here. Wait. Wait a second. Right, the gang. The gang. Wait. 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 Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Here. If if I understand this right, basically what we've got is uh, we have uh, Jody playing Obi Wan Kenobi, and we have Jeff playing the young Luke Skywalker wandering in the desert. So go ahead. There's your team. Okay. Got it. Uh, I don't know. That's one way to look at it. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That means Jody doesn't make it past the first movie. So I don't. I don't know if I'm into this. um so uh we were when i was talking with brian about having this conversation i thought it'd be kind of cool to kind of talk about like a lot of my pipe making journey a lot of my like the way that i got into making pipes while i was like really you know kind of dug into it and became obsessed like we do and i know you did as well there comes a point where like you just can't do anymore on your own there's you, you just run out of creativity or you realize like all the ingenuity that you can muster in your shop is really not all that helpful or it's going to take you ages to accomplish something so i reached out to other people and i was you know i i just wanted to hear a little bit more about like your starting journey and we can you know talk a little bit about how we can compare and contrast maybe like some of the the ways that you started out and the ways that I did. Because you, you started out what year? When did you make your first pipe? Yeah, that is a, that's an interesting question. I've been trying to figure that out. And, um, I, you know, I'm thinking I actually I found a uh, I found an old Uptowns catalog that had pipes that I had made in it from the year 2000. So surely I was making pipes in 98 to be able to to get pipes in the Uptown's catalog. So, so at least, at least 98, I'm thinking maybe my first one might've even been as far back as 96, as far as the first, you know, feeble attempts at, at making pipes from pipe kits, you know, (laughs) shall never be shown to anyone. Yes. No, (laughs) in a way it might've landed in my smoker at some point, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, started, uh, you know, I, I started off really uh, as, a, as an estate pipe collector. Right. And just, you know, back in those days, really before 
there was a lot of internet. I mean, there was the internet, but it was not like it is today. And uh, and so uh, you could you could find a lot of estate pipes in like antique stores and things. And so I I I would frequent those all the time when I was uh, touring on the road. And uh, uh, so that got me, you know, as I learned about the old. Uh, you know, I love the history. I've always kind of loved antiques and old things, so I, I kind of started loving the history of the pipes and the and the shapes, and just thought, man, this would be cool to make a pipe. And this seems to be a problem that I have that I always want to make something that <laughs> I like. Yeah. So that's a characteristic that we, uh, we have just just a little all, bit in common. We all we all share. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I started making pipes from some pipe kits, and then uh, I had, because of my affinity for state pipes, I had gotten to know uh, Keith Moore, who was the pipe buyer for Uptown Smoke Shop back in back in the late '90s, early 2000s. That and, was there uh, in Nashville, right? Yeah, that was in Nashville. And they were really the like premier uh, smoke shop, one of the premier smoke shops in the U.S. as far as high end pipes. Right. Uh, he Keith had secured, you know, uh, Pierre and Alf, Des Bang, uh, Konovich, Everson, even some Bo Nords, like and became like the exclusive distributor in the U.S. So any if anybody bought those pipes in the U.S., you know, other than a few people that would travel to Europe to get them, they would buy them through Uptowns. And so through that, I was exposed to all these amazing pipe makers. You know, the, of course, the Danish masters, but but there were other people too. You know, I mean, well, there, I mean, there was like Paul Ilstead, uh, right? Just uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of well, even Jim Cook and. Uh, uh, and just uh, like just being Barbie. exposed to that, like having having access to pipes like that, especially at that time, and really, I would say, like for most pipe makers in the U.S. and even around the world, like people know about these people, especially more so now than back then. But to have them in like front of you and have a relationship like that with Keith, where you could actually, you know, see them, that's a master class in itself. Oh yeah, I, I, I guarantee you, there was not a pipe maker anywhere that got to see the amount of just amazingly crafted pipes, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. you know, oh I got God. to just, just uh, to hold them and look at them and, and like, and that's, you know, when I, when I started being exposed to that, I, I knew that like, all right, well, this is what I want to do as a pipe maker. Right. This, this is the level that I want to work at, you know, not that these other things aren't great, but this really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. The, the attention to detail and the shapes and the, the finishes were just so well done. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, just was unlike anything, you know, I'd seen before that. And so, ha- so having that as a, as a huge influence, I really, I mean, was just making everything up as I go along. And, uh, you know, just 
back then it was really hard to find materials. It was, you know, there was no information on how to make pipes on the internet. I mean, there was, right, you, had right. the, you had the PMO pipe book and that yeah. was about the only That's thing. Like, and I never even bothered to buy that. <laughs> oh man, I saw it. My, my neighbor had it when I was in school and I remember looking at this going, the method that they taught you for drilling a pipe was uh, like using brackets or, or C clamps to attach your drill to a countertop. And I was like, I don't think that that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm no pipe maker, but I don't think that's yeah, that 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 either. Seems like that's not gonna, you're going to go through a lot of drills in your pipe making career. <laughs> and countertops. <laughs> yeah. so. You guys so, are worried yeah. about equipment. I'm worried about appendages or abdo abdominal <laughs> walls. Or <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. So you know, it was literally just you know coming up with any any hearsay about how a pipe maker does something, or you know, th thumbing through like the old like like the pipe coffee table book and oh look, yeah yeah looking at like oh, there's somebody's workshop, and then right, a, picture, right. a picture of a guy in a workshop, and then I'm looking around the shop like, what's he got in there? What's he, Man, what's he use I that for? That, that, <laughs> I had that same book when I started. I loved it because it was one of the only ones there that, like, where you could see images like that. A lot of the other <laughs> reference books that we look at were ones that would like show pictures of tobacco fields. I'm like, that's cool, but that's not what I'm really into. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not really what I want to see here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was, that. you know, that was the start. And then... Uh, and so, you know, I was really just hacking away at it. And then um, uh, Uptowns and the Nashville Pipe Club put on a pipe show. And I was fortunate enough to get a table next to Jim Cook. And, nice. and him, I think, being also being a musician and just being a good guy, mm -hmm. we, we just we just you know, struck up a conversation and a, and a friendship and he got, he just, you know, was asking me all about how I was doing different things. And I was telling him and he was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so then he's, he's like, look, you need to come up to my shop and learn the right tool for the job. And I said, yes, I do. And a few <laughs> months later <laughs> I bought a plane ticket, flew to Vermont with, with a, you know, armed with a Super 8 camera and basically, you know, he just kind of went through the process, but more, more than just the process, he was just showing me like how he made his tools. Right. Like this, this is, you know, this is for drilling a tobacco chamber and this is, this is how you make that, you know, right. this is, you know, all the, all the different, all the different things that he was using. Now I, in the end, I ended up doing things a bit a bit different, but sure. Um, but that gave me like the real foundation, and you know, I literally went home, you know, bought the lathe, bought all this tooling, and put, that I'd never really touched before, other than in gym mm -hmm. shop, and just turned on that video camera and just watched, and then it's like, all right, here I go. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah, I mean, I got got a hold of a. Uh, a guy who was a who was a engineer and a and a uh, and a uh, uh, metal worker and he made me a chuck. You know, oh for, wow! And you know we designed this thing and and 
I still use it today. Still use the same one. And um, yeah, so it was just I just went for it. You know, I was yeah. obsessed and just. I guess I must have had some time on my hands back then before I had right. kids. And, uh, yeah. I, and I'm sure, like, are, are you, I don't know, for for you, uh, were all of your friends suddenly um, unwillingly immersed in what pipes were and what it's like to be a pipe maker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to a certain degree. And, and, yeah. But, but they were, uh, they were, they were kind of, they were excited about it. I mean, because when I actually started turning out something things that look like pipes you know they were like wow that's pretty cool that's amazing yeah. you know so and and still to this day i mean same guys that i've played the band with for like 30 years you know they're still ask me all the time how's pipe business what do you what do you got what have you been working on you know and I, I show them pictures of stuff you know almost yeah you know not quite on a weekly basis but practically you know so yeah. i've really had a lot of um good support uh, from my from my group of friends here, yeah, and, uh, they think it's cool, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I, I'm I'm curious. I want to hear what you you were talking about, like when you 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 came home from gyms and you bought um you bought the you know all the equipment, especially the lathe. What was it like? I I, I just want to hear your experience of like the first time like you set up the lathe in your shop, and you know working in Jim's shop. You know, you've got his supervision. He's got everything set up a certain way, and he's coaching you through the whole thing. But to like actually have this thing in your shop in a box and looking at it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you know, uh, kind of feel like I'm doing a documentary and just sitting and watching. But uh, we'll be back in just a minute with more Jeff and Jody. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. Three six six zero three four five. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And here is uh, part two of your uh, listening in on Jeff and Jody for today. It, it could all it could all get overwhelming, you know. If you're, you know, if you, I, I think I just um, was so naive that I just jumped in and. Well, this, this this should work, and I, I think initially, <laughs> I think the first lathe I got, the motor was bad. So then I had to had to call a company and get them to come out and swap the motor out, and uh, and so there was that. But then that was that little setback. But then you know, right. um, just uh, you know things like cutting tenons and all that kind of stuff. It was a little 
you know, a little trial and error, and a little intimidating at first. But uh, um, really, I, I just never thought I couldn't do it. So right. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I guess I was much more secure back then than I am now. But so, so I just well, there's like a there's like a confidence <laughs> that naivete can can give you though, like wh- whether correctly founded or not. Like yeah. the, <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, and I was I was full of it. Uh, yeah, naivety, you got naivety. all your fingers. <laughs> I, yes, I have managed to not get severely injured, which is good. Um, tried to be tried to be very uh, careful about that, but um, yeah. So you know, it's it's hard to it's hard. It's been so long ago. It's hard to even recall uh, right. what was going through my mind in all that, but. You know, I was doing that. I started to bought, you know, like sandblast cabinets and compressors. I was just going crazy, just getting everything. Right. Was just so excited about doing it. And I had, I had, uh, and then Keith, that my relationship with Keith was was instrumental in everything because he was very encouraging and in the in the position that he sat in with Uptowns. You know, it allowed when I started, you know, making things that were, you know, decent enough to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, he already had this customer base of people who were buying these really high end pipes, and so right. he was just able to get in there and be like, "Look, this guy, he's up and coming. He, he's gonna, he's gonna be great." And, you know, just just lying basically, and uh, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, and, and so so people, you know, they're like, oh well, cool. Well, yeah, send me, you know, I'll I'll take it, you know, I'll try it, you know, mm-hmm. see what see what happens, and then that uh, that kind of that got the ball rolling, and it was it was just a very, um, it was the right thing at the right time, yeah, um, because it was you know, there again, there I mean, they were still mailing out catalogs, like there was right, there wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of online presence you know as far as sales go yeah and i actually like while you're talking i went to my cabinet and pulled out a couple of the old uptown uptown's catalogs like spring <laughs> of 2008 it's got one of your pipes in it and it's just wild to look back i haven't pulled these out in years yeah but yeah this is how like at least for me like i couldn't couldn't go to uptown so i was like every catalog i could see would give me at least one view of a shape that i you know hoped i could make something like yeah, yeah, that's it. It was definitely, man. I I bought every magazine, and we we'd play over in Europe every once in a while. I'd buy up all the European pipe magazines I could find that weren't even in English, but it didn't matter because all I wanted to do was look at the pipes. And anyway, right. you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah, and books and and uh, that that was it. Yeah, yeah. So so being able to have somebody like that. Uh, you know, on my side in that in that time mm-hmm. was really instrumental. And in, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of that way. Like in the music business, you know, you can you can have the greatest players in the world. They can you know write great songs or whatever. But if it's not the right thing that people are looking for at the time, and if it's not, you know, there's a lot of reasons why yeah. people don't make it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, at that time there was really not there was really nobody. I mean. You know, it was, you know, Todd Johnson was just getting started around then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Lindner was getting started around then. But really, you know, me and Todd were the first guys that 
were trying to do like trying to do what the Danish did, you know? Right. And, uh, um, you know, and it, it all changed for him. I mean, he, he made very, um, uh, much more crude, very Italian looking pipes until he went over and hung out with, with Tom Iltang. Right. And he came back and then everything changed. And, uh, so mine was a little different because first I'd, I'd gone to cook and kind of learned that technique Mm-hmm. And I was still doing a more Danish style pipes. I was just doing it in a different way that the Danes did it as far as the technique. And then later on going to, uh, uh, going to Denmark and being fortunate enough to spend a little time over there right. and, uh, and get kind of a little tutorial from Lars and, and from Yes, which, you know, I'm sure they were like, Oh, this guy, he's such a hack. <laughs> but, but at least I was able to eventually parlay, yeah, parlay it into something, you know, and uh, fake my way through it. Fake it till you make it. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so that, that was, that was the thing really. And that, that was another thing where Keith was very instrumental because he introduced me to these carvers, you know, and right. so I literally like put me on the phone with him. And then, uh, uh, I'm sure, you know, that, you know, initially it was all just like, well, kind of a favor to Keith because right. he sells their pipes. So he's like, well, he, he likes this guy. We'll just, you know, we'll humor him a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> so yes, yes, he started, um, I started being able to buy some good wood through yes. And it was, it was a little bit of a thing back then to, uh, to get Briar. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean. That's before, like, well, for a long time we had Pipe Makers Emporium, but, you know, before Pipe Makers Emporium, there was, like, Pimo, and you had to buy through Mark Tinsky or, or not Tinsky, um, uh, Tim West. Yeah, Tim West, yeah. And, you know, it was great to have those resources, but it wasn't really the type of wood that you and I are looking for now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, know. I mean, when you think about it now, you know, now it's like you, you what you... You instant message Marcus and <laughs> and pay through PayPal and it shows up on your doorstep like three days later. You know, I, right. I, I remember just when I was buying just through Yes. I mean, my Briar would be held up in customs for like three months. <laughs> like after you geez. did an international wire transfer and you know with a yeah. hundred dollars in fees and you've been out, you prepaid for everything. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I have to. Yeah, you have to call around and be like, "Hey, you know, thousands of these, these more than thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of these blocks every year come into the country, you know, for like K Woody and all these other companies. This, it's okay. I can get right. this wood, you know." But <laughs> right. yeah, you have to educate the customs officers every every time. Yeah, and I even had a paper that I had to print up that I had to send in. I don't know, it was crazy, but anyway, I'm glad those days are over. Yeah. The, the, the only thing that was good about it is that it, it's like if you wanted to become a pipe maker, you had to be pretty serious because <laughs> there were a lot of obstacles. For you sure. Know, there was no YouTube channels. There was no easy access to anything. There mm-hmm. were no companies that made tooling. There was, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, I, I think that 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 struggle uh gives you something i yeah i totally agree with that and that's something you know like i think what you're getting at is like a lot of the 
pipe makers today don't really, I don't know that some of them may not be aware. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think about like the struggles that people that came before me went through, like whether it's Sixton or Lars or yes, or, or whomever. Sixton especially, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then like, wow, I, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, not only of design, but also just like the ingenuity and the, um, the, the resourcefulness these guys had and think, oh, we had it pretty easy. And then I look at the, you know, newer guys coming up now. I was like, well, we didn't have it that easy. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. We, yeah, there were some, some somewhat established methods before we came along, but, uh, yeah, but you know, still you know that you 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 didn't have access to that knowledge and pipe makers they kind of guarded that knowledge you know now knowledge is cheap but back then it was guarded pretty heavily and, right uh, so they only kind of let it out to people that they felt were worthy <laughs> right you know? and yeah. if you're not worthy you at least need to have a friend uh who can uh <laughs> convince them that you know give them <laughs> just a little bit right <laughs> that's it if your favors that works too yeah so, uh, whatever whatever gets you in the shop <laughs> <laughs> that's right so, that's right now you, oh, I, go ahead. I got a, I got a question for you guys because you sure. know Jody Jeff you know when you were starting out and you looked at those pipes of the great uh, you know, the great pipes that you eventually wanted to emulate down the road what were the things that you were noticing? What were you looking at? What details? What made you go, oh, I need to do that or figure out how to do that? Yeah. I mean, I know, like, for one of the earliest things that caught my eye, like, two, two, actually, two things. Um, and I think the best examples of this would be, um, number one, S-Bang, and two would be Konovich, is just how incredible the stains were and how, like, you put a Dunhill, like a smooth Dunhill next to a smooth S-Bang or even like another high, like higher end, like handmade smooth pipe next to a smooth S-Bang. And they can be, there's almost no comparison. Like they've just had for years, one of the most incredible stain combinations out there. And then uh, the other is the lines, like the, the lines that, that make the shape. They're just so unified and harmonious. They don't have lumps. They don't have, there, there's not something there that ought not be there. Um, and for so many other pipes, like you see something go, oh, that's, that's mostly a nice pipe. And I don't think I could have identified in particular, like what those things were that were pleasing or not pleasing about something. But, you know, as naive and, you know, uneducated as I was at the time about, uh, or inexperienced as I was at the time when I was starting out, you know, you could just look at something and say, oh, that one's prettier than the other one. Um, and part of the project is kind of being able to pick it apart to analyze it and understand what it is and like, okay, how do I do that? Those are things that come to mind for me. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, that and uh, there was, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Obviously, like the aesthetic, the finishes, of course, that was a big thing, very big thing, because there again, you know, you they were just leaps and bounds above everything else that was being done, and then, yeah, just the 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 preciseness of the lines, mm-hmm. and in in uh, also kind of the 
I mean, to a certain degree, the internal engineering was more paid attention to, I think, mm-hmm. and to be more consistent, to be uh, uh, just the, the, the airflow was better, on, you know, the, the, the stem work was better. <laughs> I mean, just, just, right. just the level of precision was just up there. And the, uh, I think also the use of the briar was a very big yeah. thing. The use of the grain and where they were paying much more attention. I mean, you know, where even where a, you can find amazing Dunhills and, and old GBDs and all these, you know, different sort of factory pipes. But, you know, they're not really thinking that much about the orientation of the grain, just kind of. Yeah. But you think and, about, like, even, even like, Italian pipes, like, I, I think, like, Costello, just it, a really great pipe brand, right? And they've got good shapers and they pay attention to a lot of the things that are interesting to us. But there's a big difference in the way that, like, you know, a Costello artisan will lay out a billiard in a block as opposed to or 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 Kaviki or, or um, uh, you know, there are dozens. I don't I don't want to, like, name because I think these guys do amazing work. Um, but there's a difference between how they lay a pipe out in a block as opposed to how, like, Yes does, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sure. and some of those things, like trying to figure out, like now it seems intuitive because I've got a lot of experience with it. But back then it was like, but why does it? Why why can yes get three hundred and sixty degrees of straight grain? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it, well, and just just uh, yeah, it, and no matter what the grain is doing, almost always mm-hmm. it is being maximized right by the shape. So instead of like. It, it, you know, one thing that I, I feel like that I learned from them is that you you go into a pipe with an idea, mm-hmm. but it's but it's always fluid because mm-hmm. you also you're working with what the block of wood is giving you. So you are right. altering your you're altering your idea to bring out the most spectacular uh, grain and, and and ultimate. In the end, the finish that you could you can possibly bring out of that piece of wood, and I, yeah, and I, I tend to almost have a um, almost a uh, sort of a religious sort of feeling of uh, of responsibility mm. to especially those those rare blocks of wood that are just that you can see that are just amazing. You're looking at that. The, the bark on the outside, super consistent bird's eye, and you see mm-hmm. all this grain, and you're like, man, okay, this this has got to be right. It's got to be done right. right. I, I I'm not gonna, you know, just jump into this willy nilly. I'm gonna I'm gonna I got to be in the right mindset. I mean, there there are plenty of days where I get in my shop and I'll grab a block of wood, and I'm like, man, I'm just not up to that block of wood today. Right. You know? And I'll grab something else, a little lower grade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'll try. I'll try to make a blast, but if it turns out smooth, then okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I was actually having a talk with Chuck Stanion the other day about this. That you know, um, you know, I kind of feel like that um, that that. We're, 
you're you're really working with this an amazing miracle of nature mm-hmm. that no one would ever know or see because it's buried in the ground. You know, it's the burl of this tree in a re- remote, you know, forest around the Mediterranean Sea. And no one would experience it. No one would see the beauty. No one would understand it. And and it in itself, in that form, is an amazing miracle. Right. But then, basically, our job is to take that amazing miracle and dumb it down to something that we can comprehend as a thing yeah. of beauty. Huh. I like that. And you know, you know the the thing, what you were saying earlier. Yeah, I, I, I've I've felt that when you're shaping, like one of the one of the challenges, but also the exciting things about making pipes is that, like the essentially at least pipes like we are making or or you know aspire to make, is the improvis improvisational nature of it, right? Yeah. That. You can set out with a plan, but sometimes that little miracle under the ground has different ideas in mind for you. And sometimes that idea is, I, I refuse to be a pipe. Uh, <laughs> I really don't like those ones. But other times, the uh, <laughs> other times, like uh, you know, they impose their will on you, and you've got an idea that looks perfect from the outside, and you take that you know first cut with the bandsaw. And you look at it, you go, nope, I got to I got to pivot. And sometimes it can be like from that first cut and other times it can be right before you're, you know, about to make some like critical design, um, you know, uh, design choice. You you discover something that requires answering response, you know, and uh, yeah, it's like you you have the choice. Yeah, you have the choice to listen to that or not. Right. And and the, your best work is when you do. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, I mean, I think I, I'm sure, well, I, I'll speak for myself here, but I've certainly, you know, finished pipes where I'm like, oh, that's that's good. But you look at it and you're like, but it's, you know, I I wish I had done something. I wish I'd made a different choice here. Yeah. Because, because it would have been better. I know it would have been better. And those are like teaching moments for me. Um, yeah. That hopefully I'll, you know, yeah, I'm not always up to the challenge, but sometimes, you know, uh, and hopefully more often than not, I'll, I'll respond to that and learn in the future that, like, no, the pipe, the work will be better if I if I take some time to pay attention, uh, almost like meditate on the block, right? Yeah. No, it's a. There's, yeah, there, uh, there's definitely there's definitely like a push and pull, like you, like you get in there and you're like, all right, well, this is pretty good here. This is pretty mm-hmm. good. Do I just push this a little further? If I push a little further, I could maybe make it a little bit better. <laughs> right, just trying right. To, just, just finding that balance and like, uh, how much are you willing to risk at that moment? You know. And, yeah, and that, like the risk up. is like that that fear that you're going to uncover something that would be devastating, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we've all had that happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and we will end it for today right there, and we'll have some uh, future episodes with more of Jeff and Jody on it. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, 
I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line, to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed listening in on Jeff and Jody. Uh, three more, two or three more to come. Two more, probably. And for music, we go back to last week's guest, Malcolm Geit. And this one is different song, different style of song. This one's called Golden Top Guitar. not so young but he's not so old he don't look back to the age of gold he says find what you're looking for right here where you are with your rock bottom heart and my golden top guitar he says if life was a test no one would pass i got a few years left i'm gonna kick some ass i'm gonna get you rocking no matter when I hit that stage with my golden top guitar Now it's battered in places and the gold's worn thin It's a got a few dents where the sweat poured in But we all got a story for every single scar Let me tell you yours with my golden top guitar well, there's people out there, they live like they're dead They drag themselves around like they was made out of lead They should meet the alchemist rocking their local bar Turning lead into gold with his golden top guitar Well, he's been hurt and he's paid his dues He sure knows how to spit out the blues He's got wisdom in his soul, he's got Whiskey in the jar He's got a song to heal you in his golden top guitar Well, he's nothing to look at, nothing to see He ain't gonna make it on MTV He knows too much to dream about being a star But he can lift your heart with his golden top guitar
Well, he's not so young, but he's not so old. He don't look back to the age of gold. He said, find what you're looking for right here where you are. With your rock bottom heart and my golden top guitar. With your rock bottom heart and my golden top guitar. Your rock bottom heart and my golden top guitar. If you want to hear more of Malcolm's music, you can go on to Spotify. There's two albums full right there just waiting for you to listen and stream for free. You've got freaking mail. And again, mailbag comments or questions, you can email them directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. Just like I remind you to do every week, uh, you can uh, also send them by carrier pigeon. I'll get them eventually. Uh, going into the Wayback Machine again, this one goes back. Uh, this is from uh, the big pipe guy himself, Rich Esserman. And he says, Brian, I enjoyed the show and wish I could have occasionally thrown in my two cents for what it would have been worth. <laughs> uh, the issue of a cool smoke is something I rarely deal with due to the size of my pipes and the type of tobacco I smoke, non-aromatics. And that is a question I like to ask. What your thoughts on type of tobacco smoked contributing to a cool smoke? My own thought is that a very heavily cased tobacco make, may make for a hotter smoke uh, due to how it burns. And also, I liked your commentary on why you keep certain pipes in your collection, even though they may not be your best smokes. Talk more about it when we when you can, Rich. Uh-oh, it looks like uh, Rich wants to talk about that with me. Um, so, yeah, heavily cased, you're going to get a hotter smoke because you have to put more flame to it and get the flame going more in order to burn through the casing. Uh, so that's very simple. And uh, Rich's pipes, you know, by the time the smoke gets to him from the bowl, well, it's been about a seven-mile ride for it. Just kidding. All right, uh, Preston writes, Hey, Brian, just wanted to say I love the show and have been a listener for about three and a half years now. Not always a fan of the music, but A-plus on the show overall. I've got an idea for a show, how to go to a pipe show. I did that for you. Uh, seeing as how they're starting back up again, my friend and I are planning on going to the Chicago Pipe Show this year for our first one. I haven't searched the back catalog for this topic, so forgive me if you did already do this one. Thanks for the hours of work you put into a great show that has become a pillar of our community. Uh, uh, and then he asks, P.S., where, <laughs> where the heck do I go to find Disney pipes? I've only been able to get one in reasonable condition at a reasonable price. Well, I'd like to know where he got that. Uh, he said, the last time I was willing to drop a bunch of money for one was over a year ago, and I got outbid at the last second. Yeah, so uh, you have to do what I do. Keep an eye on eBay. Keep an eye on Etsy. Keep an eye, you know, let your friends know. Let your enemies know. So there you go. Uh, hope to see you at the Chicago Pipe Show. And then uh, Novice Pipe Smoker Ryder writes... Uh, Brian, been listening for a little over a year now, and you can thank the hobbits at the Country Squire for pointing me in your direction. Well, thank you, John, David, and Bo. Uh, I wanted to say that I am for the con I am for the conversational episodes. As I've been working through the older shows, I found that my favorite episodes are the ones are the ones with long, less structured discussions. Some of my favorite guests being the McNeils, Rich Esserman, Fred Hanna, Marty Pulvers, and Shane Ireland. 
So I'm excited for the direction the show is heading. Uh, in your most recent episode, you also mentioned pipe shows not doing enough promotion, and I have to agree. Ever since I picked up the pipe almost three years ago, I've been wanting to hit a pipe show, but it hasn't been easy living in Salt Lake City, Utah. Do you know any other pipe shows in the Rocky Mountain area other than the West Coast Pipe Show, which I hope to be attending this year? Uh, anyways, just wanted to reach out to say thanks for all the great content. Keep up the good work and been it's been a lot of fun listening right uh writer you're welcome oh uh and then he's got a ps i'm not an avid disneyland attendee attender but i will send them a note on their new policies all the same thank you appreciate that i'm going to continue that uh no there's no other pipe shows that i know of uh the closest one to you is going to be either uh kansas city if they have one which is not close to you or uh yeah, the West Coast Pipe Show. So there you go. Uh, maybe you can uh, get a group of pipe smokers in Salt Lake City and start your own. And still two more to go to get caught up in the mailbag. And Fred writes, uh, not our not our Fred, uh, different Fred. I've been binging on the podcast for the last month or so. Extremely enjoyable and entertaining. I especially like the novices as I'm about four years into the hobby. Uh, the reason for the note, I went to the St. Louis Pipe Show in February. It was the second time I went to that show, first back in 2019. I perused the tables looking for interesting buys and was drawn to tins of tobacco. Lo and behold, there sits Blakeney's Best, Acadian Ribbon, and Bayou Slice. Of course, I had to pick it up. <laughs> I remember your comments on it being your favorite. I'm curious about Bayou Slice as it sounds a little stronger. Uh, I also got McClellan's Royal Cajun special in Ebony and was very curious on your thoughts. You can't imagine my elation on the find. I look forward to continuing my adventure through your podcast. I also enjoyed Rich Esterman and Fred Hanna. Great first name. Uh, I also enjoyed the podcast on tobacco as I've acquired several pipes and am now working on my smoking preferences uh, like many, started aromatics and now expanding my horizons. I enjoy Virginia's and Virginia Preaks and early morning pipe. Keep up the great work and look forward to your programs, Fred. Uh, so let me go back and say, yeah, you got some good finds. Uh, the McClellan Royal Cajun, that had a leaf in it that was processed Perique style, and it's just different. Uh, it's good, but different and not different. You know, it just didn't hit a sweet spot. Um, probably would have been a really good, really good blend the other, otherwise. Uh, and then, uh, Jennings wrote and Jennings is the one that suggested the Tony Rice song a couple weeks back. Uh, so in, in addition to that, uh, he wrote, thanks for all you do. Your podcast is my daily listen, both to and from work. I work as a concrete Mason and do stone chimneys and fireplaces on the rainy days. I've learned a lot from your podcast and look forward to listening every day. My wife even enjoys it. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Well, here's a shout out to uh, Jennings' wife. So there you go. Uh, he also asked about tobacco shops. And, you know, the pipe and tobacco shop world is getting smaller and smaller. So it is important that we find shops in our area that are supporting pipes and tobaccos and, you know, support them the best we can. All right. Rant time coming up next
this is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. The term elitist has been thrown around a lot lately and uh, sometimes thrown at me, and I'm right. Well, you're right. Um, I am the leading expert on my own opinion, and in my opinion, I have found pipes and tobaccos that I enjoy the most, and I've found the ways that I enjoy them the most. Does it mean that's going to work for you? No. Can you listen to what other people say and or how other people do it and try it and see if it works for you because maybe it's a new idea? Sure, you can. That's how we learn and that's how we grow. Uh, I'm not an elitist. I am a refined smoker. I am in some cases very jealous of people who have a palate that enjoys multiple different types of tobaccos and enjoys all ranges of pipes. I've found a very small section of what I like, and it's a very narrow window. And I am here to say that mine is the way that you do not want to go, because when you hear people that talk about all the different kinds of pipes from different manufacturers and all the different ones, and they enjoy them all for different reasons, and they enjoy a a, uh, aromatic in the morning and an English in the afternoon and a Virginia at night. Boy, am I jealous because they're getting all these different experiences. So I am ultra refined, which doesn't mean the best. It just means that I'm refined or narrowed. And, uh, you know, there's other people out there that are just purely happy to have all these different things and can appreciate them. Unfortunately, I can't. But I can tell you, and I will remind you, that if you smoke a pipe and there's tobacco in that pipe and you enjoy it, well, then you're a friend of mine. doesn't matter if you read the NASPC Pipe Collector or not. So there you go. All right. Comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Don't forget those JDRF auction items. Uh, If you're on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. That would be much appreciated. So thank you very much to the three J's, Jeremy, Jeff, and Jody for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather
goes away for almost a month and does he take me with him? Hell no.